0: that we can be family members, that we can pray together, sing together, worship together. And so tonight we're grateful for that opportunity. As we think about the virgin birth, I want to call attention to chapter 7 in the book of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah's writing some seven centuries before Jesus will make His entrance into the world. And so I want to talk a minute or two about the prophecy of the birth of Jesus. And as we think about this text, before we look at chapter 7, what I want to do is talk for a minute or two about the plan of redemption. What you have to understand is, God had a plan in place before He ever made man, before He ever laid the foundations of the world. You remember in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, John there talked about the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that we have been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. He said, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times for you. Then, of course, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul there talking about all the spiritual blessings that reside in Christ. and He said that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place before He ever created Adam and Eve. Now, you remember in Genesis chapter 2, having created Adam and Eve, God instructed the first couple. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God said the day you eat thereof you will surely die. Chapter 3 informs us the first couple transgress God's will thereby bringing death into the world, physical death and spiritual death. And so in verse 15 God begins rolling out His redemptive plan. So God said in the long ago, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And he said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The reference there to the coming of the seed, that being Christ, the Messiah. Here we are afforded information about the redemptive plan. And God begins at this point in time to unveil. This plan that ultimately would remedy the human family of the problem called sin. In order to do this, God needed a family to bring this about. And so you can trace this seed line beginning with Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and you can run that seed line down to Genesis chapter 12 when God called upon a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham became the father of the Hebrew nation. And God said to that patriarch some 2000 years before Jesus came to earth, he said in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That is significant. Because it would be through it would be through the seed line of Abraham that the Messiah, the Christ, would emerge. Now you remember Paul in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, said to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but to thy seed, which is Christ, singular in nature. The promise made to Abraham that God would bless the world ultimately would be accomplished through Jesus. The primary fulfillment of that promise was realized in Christ Jesus. So in Galatians chapter 3, you remember Paul said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said, It's in that context, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And then he said, If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. God's design to bless the world through his son, that seed line could be traced through Abraham. Now that brings up another thought in Galatians chapter 3. It has to do with the law. Sometimes people ask the question, what was the purpose of the law? Paul asked that question in Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. He said, the law was added because of transgression. But listen to what he said, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law pointed people in the direction of the Messiah, the Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Paul would say, Christ is the end, the aim of the law to everyone who believes. All of the Old Testament prophecies, over 300, pointed to the coming of the Christ and His kingdom. The kingdom and Christ are linked together. You can't separate the two. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. He's talking about the regal government of the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus would be a king, and He would have a kingdom. So you have the promise made to Abraham and his seed. Well, Abraham, as you well know, had a child of promise, he and Sarah, a child by the name of Isaac. Isaac, of course, had two children, twins, Jacob and Esau. And God said relative to those twins, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And really what He meant there was, God made a choice to run that seed line through Jacob and his descendants. So Jacob has 12 sons, who would later become the 12 tribes of Israel there would be one tribe through whom the Messiah, the Christ, the seed of Abraham would emerge. What tribe would that be? The tribe of Judah. So then you come down to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you remember God speaking through Nathan the prophet in the long ago, said with regard to David, he said, When your days are fulfilled, and you rest or sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall come forth, from your body. And he said, I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name. And the throne of his kingdom will last forever. Again, significant. Because in Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, you remember the angel, the angel Gabriel said that she would conceive, bring forth a son, his name would be called Jesus. He said, He shall be great. He shall be the son of the highest. And he said, I will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So think about that. God made a promise to David that through his seed line a king would come that King would be King Jesus. So with that in mind, as you think about this great plan of redemption, it was being unfolded in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, as we have said before, is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, In chapter 2, Isaiah talks about this exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. He's talking about the church there. The establishment of the kingdom of God. And Jesus would ultimately serve as the king over that kingdom. So we come to chapter 7. And in this context, Isaiah is summoned by God to go and to speak to the king, a fellow by the name of Ahaz. Ahaz was the king over the southern kingdom of Judah. In this context, two kings had made a confederation together. The king of the northern kingdom, Ephraim, Pekah, and then the king of Syria. And their intent was to make war against the southern kingdom. And really what they wanted to do was to replace Ahaz with what I would call a de facto king, the son of Tabeel, according to verse 6. So they want to make war with the southern kingdom. And as you can imagine, Ahaz is worried. He's concerned about the house of David, the southern kingdom. And by the way, the southern kingdom would later go into Babylonian captivity, but God would spare a remnant of that kingdom for what purpose? to bring the Christ into the world. So in verse 2, it's told, to the house of David, serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. Ahaz, according to the text, his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. In other words, they were afraid. What God wanted Isaiah to do was to calm Ahaz down, to encourage him to put his trust in God. But what Ahaz wanted to do, he wanted to build an alliance with Assyria rather than trusting in God. And so in verse 4, Isaiah said, Take heed and be quiet or be calm. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezan and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against you, saying, let us go up to Judah and trouble it. Let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them. So the intent was, as I said a moment ago, to set up this de facto king. And God's saying through the prophet Isaiah, you need to put your trust in me. Unfortunately, Ahaz really didn't trust the Lord. And so in light of that, listen to what God said, verse 6, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. The head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. So Ahaz has a lot of questions. He's concerned, fearful, trembling. So then God through the prophet makes this request. Look at verse 11. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, and really I think the idea is, under the pretense of piety, his, his thinking is, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. Well, really, he needed to trust the Lord. So he wouldn't ask for a sign. He said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Here now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary My God also. Now, it's one thing to doubt the words of the prophet, but to doubt the source of the prophet, to doubt Almighty God. So God said, all right, you won't ask for a sign. Let me tell you what, I'm going to give you a sign that will assure you with regard to the house of David. So here's this sign. Verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah here pointing into the distant future with regard to the house of David. And saying, there is coming a time when a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. And that Son shall be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us, talking about the incarnate Christ. So with that in mind, I want to now very quickly turn over with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, and look, let's look for a minute or two at the picture of the birth of the Christ. Now, Matthew, of course, provides for us the genealogy of the kingly descent of the Christ. And basically, he goes back, well, look at chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Now, according to Matthew's account, There are 42 generations from Abraham until the Christ, the Messiah, is born into the world. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David. Fourteen generations from David to the carrying away into Babylon. Fourteen generations from Babylon to the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, look if you would in Matthew chapter 1. As we think about the picture, Matthew is going to talk about the conception of the Christ, the Messiah. Then he's going to make the connection going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Some 39 times, I want you to note, if you will, one very special term in the genealogy of the Christ. For example, verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. All right, drop down now. Look at verse 16. And note the absence of the word begot. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. What do you think Matthew is saying here by inspiration? Let me tell you, what he is saying is that Jesus would not have a human father. In other words, a biological father. Joseph is identified as the father of Jesus. But Jesus didn't descend from Joseph, did he? Sometimes we talk about Jesus was as heavenly as His Father, and as earthly as His Mother. He was the Son of Man, but also the Son of God, right? So with that in mind, look at verse 18. In verse 18, Matthew records the events that lead up to the birth of Jesus. He said, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph... A betrothal lasted about twelve months. It was a period of engagement. Alfred Edersheim, who was a Jewish historian, said that those who were betrothed, they were required to abstain from sexual relations. matter of fact, the only way that a betrothal could be voided would be by divorce. And so, Matthew said, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, not wanting to make her a public example, the text says, was minded to put her away privately. In other words, Joseph is thinking about divorcing Mary. Because she's with child. And so, look at verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her, listen, is of the Holy Spirit. Now you remember in Luke's account, matter of fact, Turn over with me very quickly to Luke chapter 1. I want you to see something. It might be that you want to make a notation. In Luke's account, we have the angel Gabriel being dispatched to Mary. He is sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed, verse 27, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there'll be no end. Now look at verse 34. Very important passage. Mary then raises the question to Gabriel. How can this be since I do not know a man? What Mary was saying there is... I have never had sexual relations. How can it be that I will conceive and bring forth a child? Here's what the angel said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One who will be born will be called, listen to Him, the Son of God. Son of Man, yes, but... Son of God. Now with that in mind, go back and look again at Matthew's account. So here you have Matthew and Luke. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and informs him, Mary's going to conceive, bear a son. He said, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel appears to Mary. Mary. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive, bear a son. His name's going to be called Jesus. So with that in mind, verse 21. Matthew said, the angel informed Joseph, she'll bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 22. All this was done. Note the connection. "...that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us." Now I want you to see something very quickly. Go back and look at Isaiah 7 again. When Isaiah said some seven centuries before the birth of Jesus... The virgin would conceive and bear a son. The word virgin here in the original language is Alma, found seven times in the Old Testament. It always refers to a woman who has never been married or had sexual relations. A couple of examples. In Genesis chapter 24, we read of Rebekah. She is identified in that context in about verse 43 as a virgin. In Exodus chapter 2 at verse 8, we read about Miriam, the sister of Moses. At this point in time, Miriam, Miriam is just a child. And she is identified as a maiden. Same word just translated maiden. And the idea is that when Isaiah said she's going to bring forth a son and he will be born of a virgin, we're talking about divine prophecy, aren't we? As the angel Gabriel said in the long ago, the Most High will overshadow you. You will conceive and bring forth a son. His name will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So in Matthew's account, Matthew makes a connection. Did Matthew believe that what Isaiah said about the virgin birth was true? Yes. Now I know that there are modernists, past and present, who deny the virgin birth. Some have tried to render a translation that would undermine the virgin birth of Christ. The fact of the matter is, the virgin birth stands. It is a cardinal doctrine of the New Testament. So, what then was the purpose of the birth of Jesus? I mean, why did God send Jesus into the world? Look at verse 21 again. In verse 21, the angel summed it up. He said, She shall bring forth a son. He said, You'll call His name Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. The nation of Israel, the purpose for that nation was to serve as a seed line to bring the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. They fulfilled their purpose. The goal of the law was to point people in the direction of Jesus. Now, you think about all those Old Testament sacrifices going all the way back to the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, and you begin to plot your way through the Old Testament, the giving of the law, and the various sacrifices that were offered by priests and by the great high priest. Those anticipated Ultimately, the shedding of Christ's blood on Calvary. So why then did Jesus go to Calvary to save us from our sins? The Hebrew writer said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Under that old covenant, under that old system, the Hebrew writer said, There is a remembrance made of sin every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Jesus, however, came, to redeem us from sin. As a matter of fact, as we noted a week or so ago, Jesus is identified as our Passover Lamb who was sacrificed for us. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Without the Son of God coming into this world, we would be lost. Isaiah said, with regard to the coming of this Son, this child that would be born, He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now you remember when Jesus was born, and the Bible says that angelic host began to praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, He is our peace. The Lord Jesus is the one who came to bring peace to fallen humanity. Without Jesus and without His entrance into the world, we would be lost. And yet I think about the psalmist in Psalm 40, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10. They talked about the virgin birth because David said, the psalmist said, A body have you prepared for me. Where? In the womb of Mary. So, the significance of this birth. We ought to be grateful to God that Jesus was willing to come to earth. Now, let me just say this very quickly. I know know our time's almost gone. We're not just talking about an ordinary birth here. No, we're talking about the second member of the Godhead taking upon Himself human flesh. You remember what John said, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, not anything was made that was made. And then in verse 14, here's what John said, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or what about Paul in Philippians chapter 2, when he talked about the mind of Christ, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied Himself, took upon Himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. Whose plan? God's plan. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, wasn't He? So today, we enjoy forgiveness. Now, Jesus was and is the God-man. Paul said there is one mediator between God God, and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all. He paid the ransom price for our sins. No wonder Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you've heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He were rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. We are rich because of Jesus, aren't we? We are blessed. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We enjoy reconciliation. We live in hope of eternal life, don't we? All because of whom? Because of Jesus, that's right. What to be grateful. This week, Thanksgiving week, a lot of things to be grateful for. a lot of physical blessings, material. I mean, you just begin enumerating all the blessings and favors that you enjoy. Greatest blessing? Greatest blessing is Christ. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, raised again the third day. And so today we have hope, don't we? If you're here tonight, our time's gone. If you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to come to Christ. Believing Jesus to be the Son of God. You remember Jesus in John chapter 8 said in the long ago, He said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And by, by the way, with regard to His pre-existent state, in John 8, 58, Jesus said before Abraham was, listen to him, I am. Jesus was not a created being. He is an eternal being. Matthew documents, pinpoints, the place of the birth of Jesus. Bethlehem of Judea. Because that's where Micah the prophet predicted, prophesied, the Lord Jesus would be born. And Micah, in foretelling of the birth of Christ, said, whose goings forth are from of old, listen to him, even from everlasting, from the days of eternity. Eternity, That's the one we're talking about the eternal nature, the second member of the Godhead. If you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel, why not come? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. Let God put you in the church and then be faithful. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in God's work. If you're here tonight, you need to be restored. we Certainly be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. Whatever your need might be, please come as we stand and sing.